Book One, Chapter Five of Round the Block by John Bell Booten. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Pleasure as business. Captain Tonkins cracked his whip with professional sonority over the heads of his lively horses, and they started off at a slapping pace, which brought them to the house of the three friends before the bells had fairly begun to jingle in unison. The door was instantly opened, and Overtop and Maltboy presented themselves dressed in the most elaborate and captivating style. Marcus Wilkeson appeared just behind them, in his dressing-gown and slippers, calmly smoking his well-browned meerschaum. After the salutations of the day, both Overtop and Maltboy addressed a last appeal to Marcus to give up his ridiculous prejudices and join the party, but he obstinately refused, saying that he should make only one call and that was upon the old gentleman over the way. The arrangements for the day had already been made. The party were to call on a few dozen of Quigg's customers, selected from a carefully prepared list of one hundred, within range of a mile or two, also on a few friends of Overtop and Maltboy, who could not well be slighted, and then come back to the block. Quigg looked upon the day as one of business and not of pleasure and had methodized a system of call-making, which was submitted to his companions, and highly approved by them. The order of exercises was as follows. First, a jerk at the doorbell. Second, precipitate entrance, hat in hand. Third, happy new year, remark on fine weather, and introduction of friends. Fourth, a second remark on fine weather, or any other one remark which might occur to friends on inspiration of moment. Fifth, acceptance of one sip of wine, and one bite of cake, if any offered, with compliments on excellence of both. Sixth, reference to list in hand, observation on the necessity of retiring, and regret for the same. Seventh, precipitate retreat. The system did not work smoothly at first, in consequence of Overtop and Maltboy's strained, excessive efforts to make themselves agreeable. It happened that, at the first two or three houses visited, Maltboy discovered charming young ladies, and could not resist the temptation to linger beyond the prescribed minutes and talk trifles to them. It also fell out that Overtop found a number of those sensible women for whom his heart ever longed, and whose starving souls, as he called them, were not to be satisfied with the dry crust of ordinary compliment. To them, therefore, he addressed observations on the inner or spiritual significance of the New Year's call, on the reminiscences of childhood suggested by sleigh-bells, on the typical meaning of snow as the shroud of death, and at the same time the warming garment of coming life, on wine or lemonade, as the case might be, as an emblem of hospitality, and on many other little things as expressive of loftiest truths. It was only after earnest remonstrances from Quigg that the discursive Overtop brought himself down to the rules of the day. In deference to Quigg, Mr. Maltboy also steeled his too susceptible heart against the attractions which he was perpetually encountering, and kept strictly to the weather. He, as well as Overtop, was surprised to find that the single stereotyped observation, it's a fine day, was, after all, more acceptable than a longer and more strikingly original remark, 
for it imposed no tax upon the conversational resources of the ladies, and left them unfatigued to succeeding scores of visitors. About this time it was observed of Captain Tonkins that he began to show signs of fatigue, rocking heavily in his seat with every oscillation of the sleigh, and talking thick like a jaded man. These phenomena seeming to require some explanation. The captain stated that he had been up late the past three nights, and could keep himself awake only by taking occasional draughts of Quigg's brandy. The captain then proceeded to indulge in random recollections of his political career, and withering denunciations of one Larry Mulcahy, his successful rival for the office of school inspector, whom the captain did not hesitate to brand as a jailbird. When the party returned to the block where the overtop theory was to be tested, Mr. Quigg's services were found invaluable. He had not only been the principal grocer in the vicinity for five years, but he had served on ward committees for the relief of the poor at other people's expense, and had participated largely in those admirable institutions for the promotion of matrimony known as sociables. Therefore Quigg knew about everybody on the block worth knowing. There were a few persons in that old house near the corner who sent in for herrings, cheap butter, and pounds of flour, and whom, of course, he did not know. There was a queer old Dutchman in that square old-fashioned house in the middle of the block, whom neither he nor anybody else knew. They went through half of the south side of the block and found only plain and commonplace people. Overtop and Maltboy began to be weary. The former was gradually discovering that his theory was a bore. The latter wondered whether Quigg knew the tall girl, concerning the identity of the front part of whose residence Maltboy was at fault, although he knew every brick of the rear. In this ear house, said Quigg, I shall be treated rudely, because they owe me fifty dollars for groceries. It's a curious fact but I have noticed that debtors always act kind of cold to creditors, as if it was the creditors that owed the money. Mr. Quigg spoke with an important air, as if he had made an original discovery in human nature. End of Book 1, Chapter 5